This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. A cancer diagnosis is emotional and it's frightening. But a cancer diagnosis is often sudden and treatment starts quickly. So whilst you're trying to digest the information and the treatment that you're about to start, which can all be incredibly overwhelming, the financial cost comes in hard and fast. It costs a lot of money to go through cancer treatment and those from within the cancer sector say that there is a widening gap between those who can afford to have cancer and those who can't. Bill shock and the hidden costs can financially cripple individuals and families, especially when the primary income earner of the family is off getting cancer treatment. There's so many things to consider financially when you do get a cancer diagnosis. What if your insurance doesn't cover you? What if you don't have insurance? How many of us have savings significant enough for a sudden and expensive operation? There's the cost of specialist surgery, biopsies, referrals, treatment creams, painkillers. Then there's the less obvious expenses, things like physiotherapy, occupational therapy, counselling, parking, petrol. The list goes on. And treatment and recovery, it can go on for years. It costs the average cancer patient between ten and fifteen thousand dollars. And the most confronting question is, what does this widening gap mean for your chance of survival? If you're currently or you've previously been through cancer treatment, did you experience bill shock? And how hard financially was it for you to survive and recover? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, my name's Rochelle Hunt and joining you in the studio today is Todd Harper, the CEO of Council Council Victoria and Hayley Jones, the Director of the McCabe Centre. A warm welcome to the two of you. A cancer diagnosis, Todd, at the very beginning, it's shocking. You know, it might take a long time to get that diagnosis, but when you do, it feels really fast and treatment often happens really quickly and the costs are thrown at you rapidly. What? Where do all those hidden costs, the bill shock, where do they come from? What are the main expensive factors of having cancer? So aside from treatment, the other ones that we experience and hear about are the ones that you've described. So it's it's the impact of uh, understanding where uh, what insurance I have, what insurance am I eligible for, what does it mean for my superannuation if I need to access my superannuation. Some people will have to take time out of the workforce, mm. so it's a loss of income. We experience the costs of travel, of parking, as you've mentioned. And one of the things that we often hear from cancer patients is that obviously at the start, they're very focused on what this cancer diagnosis means to me physically and the treatments. And luckily in Victoria, we have one of the best cancer systems in the world. So that it really does deliver great benefits for us. But we're not good at all about how do we support the cancer patient at the start of their journey help them understand the impact on their mental health, the likely financial costs. Where can I get supportive uh, care support from? Mm. Where am I going to be able to find the information that I need? And one of the things, of course, in that situation, we tend to go to our wonderful oncologists to try and get more information from them. And they're at a time, of course, when there is so much demand on their services that often they're limited in terms of what they can do. So we it's partly about the expenses and it's partly about the lack of information that we give people yeah. at the start of that journey. And it's not just the specialists. It's all of those things that we mentioned piled together. And even if that information is given to you at initial diagnosis, you're probably in emotional shock and your focus is survival and getting into treatment as quickly as possible. So even you're probably not thinking about the financial side, but at one point it will all start to hit and you might go back into that top drawer where you put the sheet with all of the financial services and information that's there. Hayley Jones, as the director of the McCabe Centre, first things first, let's talk about the McCabe Centre. What do you do? Because it's incredible. You're a centre for law and cancer, which is a one-of-a-kind worldwide. How does law and cancer come together? 
Thanks, Rochelle. Um, there are a huge amount of intersections between law and cancer and at the McCabe Centre for Law and Cancer, we work to make sure that the law is effective and can be used to prevent and control cancer in the best possible way, not just in Australia, but internationally as well. We're actually a World Health Organisation collaborating centre on law and non-communicable disease, which is in the international sector what chronic disease we would call here in Australia is more commonly called. And we work across um, with our partners in Australia, including Cancer Council Victoria and Cancer Council Australia, on strength- strengthening domestic laws to make sure mm. that people affected by cancer um, get the best possible outcomes they can. And we also look at what learnings we have from Australia and around the world to improve um, outcomes for people with cancer globally. That would, I guess, touch back into when you're talking, Todd, about superannuation or being able to take time off work and what rights do I not have and what if I'm casual but I've been at a, a workplace for, for years, if not decades. Todd Harper and Hayley Jones are with you as we look at some of the hidden costs of cancer. I know, Todd, over the years we were, we've done programs on volunteers and we have an incredible body of volunteers in regional Victoria that take their time to drive cancer patients to Melbourne because quite often this is changing but quite often we don't have the treatments in regional Victoria that cancer patients need so there is a a huge amount of time and money being spent travelling around. How much do we rely almost on the kindness of strangers and volunteers when it comes to just getting people from the regions to where they physically need to be? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it it is one of the most um, amazing things we see. A, A cancer diagnosis changes lives. It changes lives in an instant for people who are diagnosed. But you also see the impact of people who donate their time to support those in their moment of need and you, you can't help but be inspired by those people. It is a significant issue for um, regional Victorians and indeed regional Australians in a number of ways. First of all, we know that um, people are more likely in, in regional areas to be diagnosed with cancer and more likely to die from cancer. And we also know, of course, that the uh, the impact of travel can be significant for some people, particularly if you're in a situation where you are financially dependent on, on your job, you don't have the option to be taking time out of work, or you have limited support options. So that can just exacerbate some of the, the difficulties experienced by uh, regional cancer patients, and also not knowing where do I go to get the information that I need? Because what we find with cancer, you don't know what you don't know. This is a life-changing experience. And so being able to identify all of those other um, mm. problems and where I can get information can be a significant issue for cancer patients. And it's incredibly Stressful. I mean, we've already got quite a few messages saying, look, this is just so hard to listen to. The emotional impacts that we're going through at the moment is tough enough. There's another message here that says, I nursed my late wife through stage four cancer for three years. She died in my arms. The cost? Well, I have PTSD and I've just got up from three days of being curled up on the floor. The cost will be ongoing. Best wishes to all those affected. And that's come through from Rod. And Rod, we send our love to you because when we talk about the cost, there's the emotional cost and the counselling that's needed and not just for the cancer patient, for people like Rod. So there are the partners and those maybe that take time off to care, but then the emotional care that is needed for those who are sometimes left behind as well. Absolutely. And I think in addition to the volunteers that we've mentioned who do fantastic work supporting cancer patients, unpaid carers for people affected by cancer play a huge role. And part of our work has been looking at strengthening laws for um, the unpaid carers to make sure that they can get access to, um, you know, more support through Centrelink or more leave to be able to support them while they're going through that really traumatic time with their loved one. And the idea that you can access your superannuation is so fraught it's good in one sense okay yes you've got that money but then that superannuation is there for your retirement it's not there to fund your treatment but some people have no choice exactly and one of the things that we find uh, reported back to us from people who access our support services our financial counseling services one of their biggest frustrations is dealing with superannuation companies and also um, dealing with Centrelink during this time so you have enough stress as it is but I don't think we have good enough systems in place within those institutions Mm. to support people going through the stress and trauma of a cancer diagnosis. And I think 
think that's where the McCabe Centre has really come in helpful, you know, to be able to look at what are the drivers here? What are the ways that we can um, change our laws, change the way our 100%. systems operate to be more effective when people need it. I want to drill into that to see what is actually being done, what laws are potentially looking at being changed and where we can do better. But Andrew's called. He's in Ivanhoe. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, everybody. What did you want to add? Um, I'd like to add my experience of being diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer, aggressive prostate cancer, seven years ago. Um, Just through a routine GP checkup uh, blood test, uh, blood test PSA count, which is for the prostate, come up uh, quite high, very, very high for what it should have been my age. Uh, went through the normal paces to go and see urologist and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, biopsy and so forth. And uh, my final or second last visit to the urologist to talk about surgery and the options uh, was to ha- have it done uh, in, through a general hospital and having massive stitches up the stomach and being hospital for two months plus possibly wow. or have it through robotic and be in and out in a day. And I looked at that avenue and the urologist said, oh, it'll cost you up to $20,000. And I was just flabbergasted, absolutely flabbergasted. And I told my family family said sorry to hear that and my sister said I'll give you the money and I went nah, 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 nah. She said, yeah, no 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 anyway I further went to do some research on prostate cancer and why it costs so much and it led me to a link uh, which was an article in the financial review talking about the costs and the surgeon who was going to do my surgery uh was being interviewed, and in that story, mm. he had said that he does do the surgery for free. And the reason he does that is he tutors other surgeons how to use this particular robot to do the surgery where he uh, watches and uh, gives advice on what to do and things like that. So... Found an alternative way. Yeah, generally for people who are interstate or country and those are really, you know, in tough times. And I went back to my urologist and said to him, any reason why you didn't give me this option? And he he couldn't say anything. So I said, well, I'm going to explore this. So I rang that surgeon's office and they said, no problems. It was done two weeks later I walked out the door paying $34 for antibiotics. Wow. That's, I mean, from $20,000 to $34. But the idea too, Andrew, that you'd never think in your life that you'd have to throw into your Google search engine, why does prostate cancer cost so much? But that's the reality. And people, I guess there's good and bad to come out of this, Todd Harper, in that, yes, some people will need to search for alternatives, but alternatives aren't always the best option. Sometimes they can be, like in Andrew's case. But alternative therapies in cancer, this is even, let's not even go down that path. It's a, yeah, it's a significant, and there's so much information that we want to take on and need to take on. And certainly seeking out trusted, and I emphasise trusted sources of information, is really important. You know, don't be afraid to seek a second opinion. Don't be afraid to ask um, your uh, treatment team about costs. Don't be afraid to call uh, Cancer Council nurses on 13 11 20. There are options that are available, but it, it, to be put in that situation mm. where you're faced with such significant costs, that, that really impacts on people. And we heard how it could potentially have tra- changed the treatment course based on costs and potentially change the outcomes as well. There's a message here that says, as Gen X, every single person in my age that's had a diagnosis over the last five years has relied on crowdfunding to get them through financially. I simply don't know how people have access to this technology or a community action manage to pay for rent to feed their kids and pets, especially for sole parents. Are you seeing a rise in crowdfunding and what risks come with that? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think anecdotally we've seen more and more use of crowdfunding for medical treatments and over time we do know that Australians are paying more for the costs of healthcare. Um, I think going back to the earlier caller, um, one of the things that we've been working on to make sure that people are informed um, together with Cancer Council Australia, Prostate Cancer Foundation and Canteen is a standard for informed financial consent um, that we've promoted for healthcare professionals to actually take the time, as they did with your caller, to talk through the potential costs, Mm -hmm. not just for the initial treatment, but for the ongoing costs as well that they might be liable for. Obviously, it doesn't solve the problem of the cost itself if it's going to be $20,000 or or hopefully less than that. But if people have that information at the start and then if they are able to be proactive and look to other alternatives where they might find cheaper treatments. And I think initially something like crowdfunding may have worked, but there's such a saturation and there's a real, I guess, feeling of, oh, is this dodgy? I don't know anything about this. Am I going to be scammed? So I think the future of that is just certainly not something that people can rely on. Edwina's in the Bellarine. Peninsula. Hi Edwina. Hello, how are you? Really well. What did you want to say? I think um, I was diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer last year when I was 45 and I was very lucky that we've got private health insurance and my husband's got a good job so I pretty much haven't worked since I've been through 12 months of treatment and while there's the treatment costs there's also the incidental costs such as I lost all my hair and I needed to go and buy lots of beanies and headscarves but you know at school presentation evening and I want to look nice so I want to go and buy another beanie and the cost of wigs Edwina like if you choose lots of people don't wear them as much anymore but if you wanted to to get a a good wig right that doesn't make you look like you're going to a fancy dress who can afford those Edwina really really expensive especially if you want something that's good quality that's going to last you so i opted to go with the beanies just because they were were cheaper and you could sort of color coordinate them with your (laughs) outfit but but they're expensive and then you know i've got 10 years of medication i take four pills a day now so then that's next five to ten years i'll be taking that medication at a hundred dollars a month so there's all those ongoing costs for um, after the initial diagnosis and treatment that goes for sort of five to ten years so it's not just uh you treated and you're done it's the long-term costs as well how are you now edwina um i just got the all clear yesterday oh. that my first year scans were good so Great. yes excellent going okay now good <laughs> excellent the costs of ongoing um medicines is that somewhere todd harper where we can make a really obvious change is that where governments can step up and make them either cheap or free make access so it's not costing you around 100 bucks a month for years and years and years you don't want people to be thinking well i'm going to choose between my medicine and food absolutely we don't want um people to be compromising their health outcomes in that way so we have to be prioritizing that you're absolutely right and and of course one of the other things that we're seeing is that it's the general cost of living as well so uh, with rising inflation and interest rates and costs of seeing the doctor all of this impacts at a time and so it leads to significant stress with mortgages and and the like so one of the things that um, uh, Cancer Council did in um, a couple of years ago was to employ um, several financial counsellors to be providing help to people through that uh, cancer journey. We found that if we could connect people with that sort of support at the start of their cancer journey rather than at the yeah. end when they were exper- experiencing financial stress, the outcomes were so much better. And that service, uh, you know, we were, were full with that service within within a couple of years. Clearly that demand is there. I can imagine if anything, it's just getting higher and higher and higher. But give you that number now, the Cancer Council, it's a free line, 13 11 20. It's confidential telephone information and support service that's run by the Cancer Council. Todd Harper, the CEO of Cancer Council Victoria, is with you, as is Hayley Jones, the director of the McCabe Centre. We are talking those hidden costs of having cancer. Todd Harper, the CEO of the Cancer Council Victoria, is with you. Hayley Jones, the director of the McCabe Centre. Just before we have a chat to Karen, who's from regional Victoria, who is a cancer survivor, our previous caller, Edwina Todd, said she was lucky. She sort of said it quite casually. Look, I was lucky. My husband has a good paying job. I was able to take time off in order to go through my treatment. We talk about the world of haves and have-nots a lot and how that dividing gap between rich and poor is really quite stark in this state at the moment. 
Are we falling into a society where there's those who can afford to have cancer and those who can't? Absolutely. Um, look, w- w- even before we saw the uh, the challenges of the pandemic and, and recent economic shocks, interest rates, inflation, poorer people experienced poorer cancer outcomes. Oh, that makes me feel sick. <laughs> and so it, it really um, it troubles me. I suspect that mm. um, on this trajectory we'll see that worsen. Um, cancer is, uh, is, is often, um, uh, cancer outcomes are, are worse for those with, from disadvantaged backgrounds. And we need to be doing everything that we can to make sure that people who, um, whether they be Aboriginal, living in regional Victoria, whether they be low income, fixed income, that shouldn't determine you, your outcome from cancer. Now, we're going to need to do some, some really serious work in cancer over the next years to help improve people's uh, prospects of managing through the cancer system, getting the information that they need, but also looking at those drivers of higher costs, what it costs to go to the doctor, what it costs for your pathology, um, the gaps that exist in uh, insurance that mean that you're up for surprise uh, bill shock. These are the types of things that uh, really exacerbate the outcomes for cancer patients. And there's nothing worse for a cancer patient to get to the end of the journey Mm. and then realise what it's cost. Now I've got all the bills. I remember quite a few years ago, Bill Shorten was talking about certain just scans and there's a couple of other things. He said these should just be free. Are there some obvious things that, that should just be free that shouldn't cost you? I mean, I think one of the issues that we're seeing is the rising cost of accessing GP appointments for people um, who are no longer able to access, you know, um, Medicare-funded GP appointments. People living with chronic disease will often need to see their GP relatively frequently. And these days, I mean, for myself, it's $70 for me to see a GP. So I think... Um, that's a very easy um, area where we need to see some more action so that people can access that um, primary health care to make sure that mm-hmm. they're getting the checkups they need, they're getting the medications that they need and potentially preventing much worse problems down the line because they're skipping checkups. You mentioned regional Victoria and we know that maybe access to treatment is not as simple and that if you do have to travel, there's all of those added costs. Karen is a breast cancer survivor. She's also a nurse. She lives in the beautiful area of Horsham. Karen, you've been listening to a lot of what we've been discussing already. Are there extra costs for you just purely geographically, the fact that you live in Horsham, that took you by surprise? Um, no, the, the initial shock, as I said, you don't think about the financial side of it until further down the track. All you want to do is get started on your treatment and know that you've got an end, hopefully, date. Travel for most people in regional Victoria is probably one of the things. Um, being sent to a private hospital and being confronted with, I need $400 for your scan, can be a bit of a shock as well. When then they didn't have the choice, they were just told, this is the best place for you to go and you're sent sent there when in actual fact you don't have private health insurance. So You just do what you're told, don't you? Because yeah. Yeah, you yeah. you're still in shock. You of don't realise that I'm going to a private hospital and I'm gonna to have to be paying because I haven't got private health. That's the last thing on your mind. All you want to do is get started. DPs sometimes forget yes, that might be the best place, but financially for the patient it's not giving you those options was what like what Todd was talking about the idea of traveling a lot too if you're in regional Victoria did the travel cost you a lot you would have had to have taken time off work for treatment but then being able to get treatment that was close by how much of travel had a financial impact on you Karen um the first month I think I was traveling backwards and forwards to my surgeon and my oncologist every week and sometimes twice a week because if you couldn't get your appointments that you needed on the one day, Mm. you have to go home or stay in a motel, extra cost, extra cost for food while you're there, your next appointment in a couple of days' time. You weigh up what's the best. Do I stay or do I 
go home and use the money on petrol going back. You've got to stop and think before you actually decide which way you're going to go. That's the last thing you want to be grappling with as well, Todd Harper, the idea of, okay, I can't afford to stay in a motel, but I need to stay in a motel, otherwise I've got to get home, but it's going to cost me 100 bucks to fill up the petrol, the car with petrol. These are issues that you wouldn't want Karen to be dealing with. Are there ways for accommodation, for example, for accommodation to be made free? Oh, I, oh, look, I think or like really affordable? Yeah, absolutely. And I think... What we see at the moment is that there are some good services that um, can provide that, but often it's dependent on the type of cancer or uh, particular institutions. And what we don't see is necessarily a level playing field where those are available regardless of the type of cancer if you need to stay overnight and providing that support. There is travel assistance that is available um, through the Victorian government uh, that can offset some of those costs. We um, need to make sure that that is updated on a regular basis so that cost doesn't become a, a barrier. So often we, we find that people aren't aware of that they can access some form of payment from the government for travel until uh, well down the track or they don't find out at all. Can you be paid retrospectively? So, hold on to your receipts? Yeah, we certainly do hold on to your receipts and um, again, the Cancer Council 131120 nurses um, can help you step you through that process. But also, I think it's a good way to start the cancer journey to understand what are going to be the impacts, what am I going to need mm. in terms of uh, mental health support, access to uh, uh, care support within the, within my community, what is available to me either voluntarily or mm. that is paid for within my community. Karen, is that something that would have helped you if you were sort of almost given a financial checklist at the beginning of your diagnosis? And initially you mightn't be looking at it, but when you have sort of five minutes to sit down, you might think, okay, well, there's a help number that I can call or I didn't realise that there was travel assistance. Would you, were you given that information or would you have liked access to that information? In regards to the travel, I was given information. Um, but I think... As Todd said, we need to be proactive at the beginning. Um, I think, yeah, I think the GPs need to be proactive at the beginning and be able to tell them what steps happening. You get a lot of people saying, I didn't know I need to see this person mm. or I didn't know I needed to see this person. Um, how much is this going to cost me? Um, in regards to myself, I have to see a lymphedema nurse. Um, I also have peripheral neuropathy, but there is not a decreased cost for me to go to a podiatrist to have my feet attended to, Yeah, but there is for a diabetic. Just having... And yet the, con yeah. Yeah, and yet the condition is exactly the same. Theirs is caused by diabetes. Mine has been caused by the drugs that I used to cure me. We wish you all the best, Karen, and and your you know your ongoing treatment and the costs that it comes with. I think it's just really important to to speak up and to advocate for regional Victoria. So thank you so much. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Good to speak with you. It's Karen. She's a breast cancer survivor. She lives in Horsham. So many messages coming in. It's almost impossible to be able to get through them. So apologies. But people just talking about what their out-of-pocket cost was to go through expenses. This, it cost me $38,000 out-of-pocket expenses 26 years ago for breast cancer. Nothing has changed. We need change, right? We really do. And Todd, you mentioned there's some things to do. What would you like to see, Hayley? What what can we do now that would make a significant difference? And it's a matter of life or death for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do know that the new Australian Cancer Plan is going to be released very soon and we're very hopeful that it is going to address some of these systemic issues to make sure that everyone can access the cancer treatment they need um, at an affordable rate. I think um, there are a range of practical supports, as Todd's mentioned, um, making access to those practical supports easier. Um, improving patient navigation is another key element to make sure that people are aware of what they're entitled to. Um, and I think as well, we're talking about the... Um, 
um, direct costs of cancer, but we can also think about the indirect costs of cancer, which we've we've touched upon as well in terms of most people with cancer are diagnosed at working age, so there are probably going to be impacts to their ongoing employment um, throughout their life, potentially, after their cancer treatment. Yeah. So making sure that our employment laws um, are flexible enough to allow people to return to work and, um, if they want to, to make sure that they can keep con- earning an income. Rochelle, one thing if I could mention, so our medical system, our cancer system, does so well at being able to uh, give you the information around your treatment, refer you to where you need to be. One of the things that I think we should do as part of our healthcare system is make sure that there is information right at the start to refer you to a, a system of service that is able to provide that supportive care for you. So you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. you need to go uh, have that support available to you early so you can make those decisions. And then that information can be there available for you when you need it. That would make such a difference, I think, to improving outcomes for cancer patients. Paul's in Gisborne and he sends this message. We lost mum two weeks ago after a four-year battle. Hearing that there's travel allowance would have made a massive help. It's a shame that we didn't know earlier. Paul, we're so sorry for the loss of your mum. But that's it. People don't know. Like you just said, Todd Harper, you don't know what you don't know. Kevin's called through and has been waiting really patiently. Kevin's in Cape Patterson. Good morning. Good morning. What did you want to say? Well... Several things. First of all, it is, you know, it's when you first go into it, you're totally blind, so you have no idea. And uh, there was never any real discussion of finances other than do you have private health insurance, which fortunately I did. But uh, then the system's very clunky because what happens is your surgeon goes through all that and then all of a sudden you get a bill from a, an anaesthetist that you never really had thought about. And then... Um, and you know, sometimes the private health cover tells you things, and private, some, you know, you've got to do all the work yourself. But what I would also say is that um, I'm now uh, with a uh, prostate men's prostate support group in Wonthaggi, and one of the best things I get because the doctors are always, you know, they, they're under time pressure, so they want to process you like a sausage fairly quickly. Um, but when you can sit back with people who've been there, done that, you get a sense of what's possible going forward and, you know, some of the rehabilitation steps that are, that you know are there, but you don't know how to find out about. Mm. So it's really useful to have uh, support groups of people who've been there. I think that's great. And peer-to-peer, and I'll never forget when my mum was going through her cancer treatment at one point she just, she sat down i kid you not with a pile of bills and she was just she didn't even want to open them and then she would just slowly open them and like kevin said she was like oh this is from an anesthetist i can't even remember which one this was or which surgery this was and it's almost like the old days of not opening the letterbox because you don't want to know what's in there and she lost track of who was who and what bill was what and it was just so overwhelming and again, that, that transparency issue was a real challenge. And our caller there was mentioning about private health insurance. And that can be very important, but it doesn't mean that you're protected from bill shock. You know, And many people with private health insurance will report similar experiences. One of the things that we, we did, um, we do know, Rochelle, is that providing access to that supportive care or help to navigate through the cancer system, it's tempting to see that as a cost, right? We've got a um, put money into providing this really valuable service. But economic evaluations have shown that for every dollar we spend on supportive care, there's a $9 social return. And you can understand why when you hear some of the callers today, the stress that they're going through, the extra expense they're going through, the suboptimal outcomes that they're reporting, those are the types mm. of things which are costing us all now and why that supportive care piece is so important. We ran a trial in regional Victoria with the Victorian government during the pandemic to give people access to better access to that um, supportive care service and quickly it was fully subscribed and people are reporting really positive outcomes from that. So we're hopeful that those small models can be more like the uh, system that people come to expect if we can do that, we'll also be taking the burden off really stretched, wonderful healthcare providers who do amazing work, but you can imagine the burden yeah. on them as well. And then there's other people who I think most of us would want to help in any way we could if we knew some of these hidden costs. Parking, that sounds really insignificant, but is a huge, 
huge barrier for a lot of people. This is one of the messages, and it says, with the cancer diagnosis, you're in such a whirlwind, it's overwhelming to keep track, to putting in forms of what support you need and don't need, whether it be the patient or the family. Parking at Peter Mac and other hospitals was just the start of expenses. I reckon if you said to the average Victorian that a section of your taxes is going to ensure that parking at Peter Mac is free for every patient, that every single person would say, no worries. How can we make parking free? I mean, I think it would be a wonderful idea to make parking free. I mean, there'd be possibilities through, you know, the uh, public service procurement processes that could be included as a requirement um, in future contracts. I know that there's probably restrictions at the moment on how that can um, happen, but certainly the law could be used to um, enable that. It's just... There's some that are really long and there's some that feel like they're no-brainers. Jacinta's in Sassafras. Good morning. Good morning. Um, interesting that you've mentioned Peter Mack. Um, I'm uh, a carer. My husband's um, going through cancer for the second time, so we're actually literally going through it now. He had throat cancer 12 years ago and now he's got um, lymphoma, unfortunately. But um, on the upside, we, we ended up just being referred to Peter Mac Hospital the first time round um, really was a happy accident, but thank goodness because um, everything was free, um, right? You know, chemo, radiation, all all his um, specialist appointments. I mean, he even had to be tube fed, and even all of that was free. All the allied health was free. Um, really, our biggest expense that came out of that the first time was. Um, his teeth were completely um, ruined wow. from the yep. and um, we he did have the chronic disease dental scheme for a little while, but that got um, scrapped. So um, yeah, uh, going to the dentist a lot. Um, and that's not cheap. No, that's extremely expensive. I heard mention about carers leave. I mean, honestly, that should be mandatory in this situation. We were so lucky, and my husband's um, was self-employed, so he didn't have any of that available. Luckily, I've had a stable uh, government job for many years. I had a lot of carers leave, um, so um, that and work was fantastic. They just said, "Take whatever you need." I actually had to take seven weeks off. He became so unwell from the treatment. This time round, the same thing. They've been fantastic. Um, so I've, I've had all the the carers leave. Um, in terms of like treatment, um, I, I joke sometimes. I said, you know, by the time you finish. This, this this second time, um, you're going to be probably a million dollars walking around. He's receiving some new um, immunotherapy drug that apparently one of the nurses just quietly let it slip to him that it, it would cost us $30,000 per wow. dose to pay for, and he's having six doses. So, again, I joke that the biggest expense we have is actually the parking, which <laughs> yeah. is a lot. You've just, oh, Jacinta, thank you. Thank you so much. And we wish you and your husband all the best. And look after yourself too, because carers, it is a really big, big job and an emotional, physical and financial uh, job that you take on. So thank you. The, the amount of things that Jacinta touched on there, dental, I mean, just all the other things that happen to your body and to your skin and the, the creams and the treatments that you need, the drugs, and the cost of drugs. And the better the drugs get, the more that they cost. And depending on, I mean, so many people today have said, I'm lucky. We want to take luck out of this, don't we? We want to ensure that there's equity there. The cost of drugs and the best drugs, how do we make sure that they're available to everybody? I mean, it's a critical issue, particularly as we're seeing the rise of genomic medicine, which is, you know, increasingly personalised to individuals. Um, that's a, It's going to be even more of an issue um, in the future in terms of cancer treatments where there's real potential um, for those um, treatments. Um, I mean, there are a range of schemes in place, but certainly we'd like to see more support to make um, cancer drugs cheaper, to make um, drugs that have already been authorised for one kind of um, condition to also be authorised for other kinds, because often there's a, an additional process that has to go, be gone through for that to happen, and that can sometimes be mm -hmm. slow and mean that those treatments are very expensive. So there are ways that that could be sped up. Who has the power to do that? 
Well, we do have a good system in place for um, through the Pharmaceutical Benefit Scheme, which delivers really important, valuable um, drugs at affordable prices, and there's really solid economic evaluation to to help with that. I, I think it also comes down to that transparency piece that we were talking earlier. Being able to provide cancer patients at the start of the journey some information on um, that they can access and then providing them with avenues to talk to people about those costs is a really important part of the process and making sure that when we start um, a cancer patient on that cancer journey, we're not only looking after the treatment, but we're wrapping them around those services that yeah. we know that they're going to need through that journey. Todd Harper, the CEO of Cancer Council Victoria, is with you. Hayley Jones, the director of the McCabe Centre, is as well. Todd, we've seen over the last couple of years, you know, we've uh, worldwide, but in particular in Victoria, we've been through a rough couple of years when it comes to COVID and we saw that people didn't go and get the tests that were needed, didn't even have access to things like mammograms or whatever it may be. As a result now, we are seeing what looks like a spike in cancer diagnosis because of what has happened over the last couple of years. What's your projection of the next decade? Yeah, it's been a really troubling period during the pandemic because people weren't reporting to the doctor in the same way that they were previously. So we haven't seen the number of cancer diagnoses that we would expect. So we're worried about an increased number of late-stage cancer diagnoses. So to everyone listening, make sure you don't delay getting your health checks. But interesting to what we're talking about today, Rochelle, so currently we have uh, 36,000 Victorians approximately diagnosed with cancer every year or one person every 14 minutes. Over the next 15 years, as our population grows and ages, we're expecting that there'll be a more than 40% increase in the number of people diagnosed with cancer. What's also happening is because we we are so good now at being able to treat cancer more effectively, people are thankfully living longer after a cancer diagnosis. So if you think about those two things, more people being diagnosed with cancer, more people living longer after a cancer diagnosis, the sorts of issues that we're talking about today, cost, access to mental health, return to work, these types of supportive care issues are going to be more prevalent mm. over the next period. So there are, we're we here. We need to get them in place now. Exactly. <laughs> because exactly it will just right. get harder and there'll be more resistance from those higher up because the cost will seem to be greater. So urgency is, is fundamental. Catherine Lane is the Head of Cancer Information and Support Services at Cancer Council Victoria and we've been giving out the number 131120 or 131120 which is the number that you can call to get that support and Catherine you oversee this line so first things first thank you for doing the work that you do. What changes have you seen in terms of the amount of people that are calling the line in financial stress? Yeah, certainly. Thank you for having me today. I think um, the calls that we've seen coming through have been a really interesting shift since the pandemic. Prior to COVID, what we saw was really the number one motivator for people to pick up the phone was actually related to practical issues, mostly relating to things like finance. However, since the pandemic, what we've seen is a really sharp spike in psychological and emotional distress for people. And as I've heard was mentioned, in Victoria in particular, that was a really challenging time for us, but much more complex for people that already had a cancer diagnosis. So when we sort of start to unpack those calls and what people are really asking for, a lot of that psychological and emotional distress can come from a diagnosis itself. But for many people, it then starts to become about the impacts of that diagnosis. And that can relate to things like that practical and financial distress. And as I know has been spoken about, we've seen an increase in cost of living pressures, we've seen inflation, etc. And when people are already dealing with a diagnosis that often has hidden out-of-pocket costs, what can really impact people is that reduction in household income when they're forced to take time off for their treatment. So although that can be a real practical and financial concern, the impact that that then has on someone's mental and emotional health is also a really unanticipated outcome. So what would help there when we talk about uh, mental health services that we have, even if it's access to a counsellor or a psychologist, that's limited at the best of times mm. of, you know, here's your voucher mm. for 10 visits and then you're, you're on your own for the, for the rest of the time. What, mm. can, you, what can we do and what, what, do you, what can we offer people, Catherine? 
I think that's where the 131120 service is really trying to bridge that gap in the availability of support. So what we have seen is that there has been some recovery in the provision of services that were impacted during COVID. We've seen that uh, waitlists for psycho-oncology and counselling support have lessened to a degree, but the demand is absolutely still there. So what we're trying to provide through 131120 is an avenue that people can contact in between their treatments at the hospital or in between their contact with their treatment team so that there's always an avenue of support that people can access. And that line in Victoria is staffed by experienced oncology nurses who understand both the healthcare system but also the impacts of a diagnosis both on the person impacted directly but also those who might be caring for them. So there's someone available at the end of that phone line that can really meet the person where they're at understand what is causing them the most problems at the moment and then can put supports in place to help remedy that. They can make sure that they're connected to services at their treatment centre, in their community, that they understand questions to ask and importantly help them understand what's available to them as well. And just having someone that gets it and understands and if you've been going through treatment for a while or you're in shock you get to the point where you're like I don't know if my friends and family A understand Mm -hmm. what I'm going through Mm -hmm. or B want to hear about it anymore Mm -hmm. or they don't have the answers to it or it's just a Mm -hmm. frustrating experience so to have someone on the other end of the line where you don't feel like you need to apologize for the questions Mm -hmm. that you're asking it's just vital so again that number 13 11 20 Catherine thank you so much thanks for I mean oncologists uh, oncology nurses are a special breed so to have them on the other end of the line is incredible thank you for your time thank you Catherine Lane, the Head of Cancer Information and Support Services, Council Council Victoria. Let's have a chat to Zandi. He's been waiting patiently in Melbourne. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for um, taking the call. Um, I've been listening with interest. Yeah, everything's been said because I think we can relate to all of it. My, my daughter-in-law was diagnosed with um, uh, breast cancer, um, BRCA1 gene mutation, which is one of the rare cancers but on top of that she also had a mutation of that BRCA1 gene mutation so that diagnosis was in um, May last year uh, sadly she's now stage 4 uh, and she lives they live re- regionally so and prior to her diagnosis she was a myofibrillus and so that was a loss of income for her because she couldn't work anymore and they've got a 3 year old and a 1 year old oh gosh and they're halfway, halfway through a renovation. And it's just been a disaster um, yeah. for them. Um, it's been hard you know, living regionally. I mean, she, she was going to start off at the Monash, but then just found the travelling was just too too great a burden because it's not only just going for treatment, but it's going to get your, the blood levels checked to see if she can have the chemo and and mm. other appointments. No matter so, which way you turn, there's a, a, yeah. an added cost. Yeah. Yeah. So, and driving up and down and having to pick the kids up from childcare. It took them a while to be able to get the kids into childcare because my son was considering that he earned too much um, as a firefighter. And and um, so eventually they got, um, they were able to get, just navigating the, yeah. the, the yeah. panel. Gosh, it's so it's that word navigation, isn't it? And the information as well. Zandy, we wish you and your daughter-in-law and your son and their kids, we, we honestly, we wish them all the best. And it sounds like they've got an incredible help with having you there. Let's end with Greg, who's been waiting really patiently in Sunbury. Greg, you sort of found an alternative route, so to speak. Tell us a little bit about what happened to you. Well, I I went. I had the uh, prostate surgery. Oh, good morning, by the way. Sorry. Good morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, I had prostate surgery. I'm a cancer survivor, and the uh, I had a fabulous uh, surgeon, and he wouldn't give up until uh, he the the numbers were were telling him one thing, and the the scans were telling him another. And he said, "I know it's there, and I'm going to find it." And he found it, and he saved my life. And um, but. During that 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 journey we went through, we we went down. The, we expected that our private health sh- uh, would would cover the expenses, but they just refused to because it was robotic surgery. Mm-hmm. Now he said that uh, okay, robotic surgery is the safest way. You get a better outcome, a quicker outcome, and less chance of infection. 
and uh, and they but they were only interested in the old fashioned way of carving you up. Yeah, and Greg, you raised something really interesting there. Whether it be robotic surgery or when you know Haley, you were mentioning before about personalised medications and treatments. When we talk about the future of treatment that's available to us unfortunately the future and things that you know are new cost more how do we change that uh that's a very big question Mm -hmm. i think um ensuring that everybody has equal access to treatment is one of our key concerns at the mccabe center and at cancer council um something that we need to keep pushing for um as we're sort of rolling out these new plans just making sure that everyone can access the essential treatment that they need can people contact you if they've been listening today and either they are or someone close to them is going through cancer treatment they're all sitting there nodding their head Can they reach out to you just for information, jump onto your website to see where they stand and potentially what support and what advice they can be given? We don't provide direct advice to individuals. We gather information about these um, experiences of cancer primarily through our work with Cancer Council Victoria. So I'd really encourage people to call 13 11 20 to um, to speak to an experienced cancer nurse to get that first line support. There's also a range of other services such as Job Watch in terms of employment law advice. Um, and there's also a range of um, really practical guides mm. that are, is available on the Cancer Council website for people to go through their, their cancer and their rights. Haley Jones, the Director of McCabe Centre, thanks so much for your time today and for the work that you and your entire team do. Todd Harper, it goes without saying thank you. You've been in this role now, well, I said to you before, it feels like forever, and I say that with nothing but utmost love and respect, but over a decade now, your job as the CEO of Council Council Victoria is vital and the way that you advocate for people is incredible. Just finally, are you hopeful that we'll start to see some changes financially so that people can afford the treatment that they need and that we're not going to see the gap between those who can afford to survive and those who can't? Absolutely, I am, and that's what we fight for every day. Um, Haley mentioned about the new Australian Cancer Plan coming out soon. There'll also be a Victorian Cancer Plan coming out soon. I think given what we've heard today, it just amplifies yeah. why we need action in this area. And to all of those people who are going through a cancer journey, don't be afraid to reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out to the loved ones around you, to 131120, to your specialist, to your healthcare provider with questions, yeah. with th- the things that you're not coping about. That can help so much in terms of providing the clarity that people need. 13 11 20. Todd Harper, the CEO of Cancer Council Victoria. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.